Let me tell you what happened this morning. So I woke up at about 4 o'clock and I went to my office. And I looked at my sermon that I had prepared. I mean, you got to be ready for Sunday morning, for Easter Sunday morning. You better not mess up Easter Sunday morning. You can mess up some stuff. Don't mess up Easter. So I went in there and I looked at that sermon and it was completely lost to my heart. Completely gone. So I opened the my my I opened a blank page. And so what I would say is this. Now in conclusion, to, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but that's the truth. And I just said, Lord, this is not hot on my heart. Would you speak to me? And I just put my fingers on that keyboard, and, and I want to I share what the Lord, I think, wants for us this morning. And also this morning, uh, you know, I thought about it as I was just getting ready and meditating. I've been preaching Easter sermons since every Easter, since probably, you know, you don't do them as a youth pastor or an associate pastor. That's the privilege of the senior pastor. So since about 1992, I've been preaching Easter Sunday sermons. And, and not only that, many, probably 15 years of those, of those years have been two sermons on those, two different Easter sermons. We'd do an early service, and we'd have breakfast when we had the room downtown, and, and then we'd do a, I'd do a complete different sermon for the main service. So for many of those years, it was two Sunday morning, two Sunday mornings. And so I came to this morning, and I just didn't feel what I had. I mean, it was Easter, but it, and it, was, but it just wasn't what the Lord... And I've watched God, I've watched the Lord in this service, in these songs, and what's been said... Confirmed in my heart that he wants to say some things to us this morning. Many years ago, in fact about 30 years ago, when we were living in Duncan, Oklahoma, there was a young man in that, that lived in, in that area there. His mother came to our church. His, his mom and dad were divorced. His dad lived over in Lawton. We lived in, she lived in Duncan. So he would bounce back and forth. He was a lost boy. He was a lost boy. He was a, he was a broken boy. He was away from Christ. And so the Lord put him on my heart. And I started trying to reach out to him. I can tell you this young man wanted nothing to do with God. Nothing. He wanted not, not only did I, didn't want anything to do with God, he wanted nothing to do with me. Nothing. I, would, I was a youth pastor. I'd walk over. Or I would drive over to his house after school and I'd knock on the door. Knowing he's in there, he wouldn't answer the door. Then I would call his mother and say, hey, tell, tell him that I want to come and talk to him. I would show up to the house. He would know I was coming. He would get on his bike and he would leave. This went on for a long time. How I many you know he's, uh, there was warfare going on? Long story short, through a series of really tragic events and hard events... This young man was gloriously saved. 30 years, gloriously saved. I'm telling you, he got as saved as anyone could get saved. He got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, and out of his conversion, literally, I trace the revival that we had for those several years in that, in that church. I trace it to his conversion when Jesus saved his life. I took him under our wing 
I began to mentor him. I began to take him witnessing with me. I began to show him how to pray. I began to teach him how to study the scriptures. And just so happened this morning, I got a text from this young man. He's not a young man anymore. He's about, about like me, but bald. But uh, in the text, I wish I could read it. I won't do that. But in the text, he said, Brother Joe, I want you to know, I want to thank you that 30 years ago, you shared Christ with me. I want to thank you that 30 years ago, you shared a Jesus that can ch- could change my life. You taught me how to pray. You took me to those prayer meetings. We were in revival together. We studied the Word of God together. We grew together. I want to thank you for witnessing to me 30 years ago. And then he said this, preach him. Make much of Jesus this morning. And I said, young man, I will. I'm going to preach. He's risen. I'm going to tell you, the Jesus that touched that brother 30 years ago is still in this room today. He's still on the throne today. So I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about, here's the title, The Conquering Christ. I mean, we serve a conquering Christ. Here's a verse of scripture that was alluded to, actually, Revelation 1, 17 and 18. John says, and I saw him, and I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. And those keys are the authority. Those keys are the conquering Christ. The conquering Christ holds the keys over death, over hell, and over the grave. What a marvelous verse. And the Lord bless his word today. I begin by this. Jesus lived a conquering life while he lived for 33 and a half years in this world. He lived a conquering life. And the reason he lived a conquering life is because he lived a life. Hear this. Capture this. In complete surrender. In complete submission to the Father. In fact, he even said these words. He said, and I quote Jesus, I have come down from heaven not to do mine own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now what must be noted is this, that Jesus' conquering life that I wanted to talk about in his resurrection is according to the Lord's standard of conquering, not this world's standard. In other words, he conquered from God's vantage point, not the world's vantage point. From the world's vantage point, a man hanging on the cross with nails in his hands and nails in his feet and a crown down on his brow from a human standpoint, from a lost person's standpoint. That is a complete failure. But to us, it's a success. John wrote, and he epitomized what the world thinks is success. John, and I quote little John, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. All that is in the world Uh, Those that love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. All that's in the world, here's the world's success. Here it is. John epitomizes it, encapsulates it in a little three points, and he says this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is not of the Father, but it is of the world. The lust of the flesh is basically pleasure, sensual pleasure. The lust of the eyes is basically covetousness. You know, most people in our world think if they have more, they would be happy. But people that have more many times are not happy. You realize just recently, we've all uh, eaten, most of us, at Texas Roadhouse. Recently, in the last two weeks, the man 
who owned Roadhouse was worth 600 plus million dollars committed suicide. Things will not make you and I happy. Then there's the pride of life. And the pride of life is basically man's self-centered pursuit of glory. People want to be something. They want to, it's, it's vain glory. It's lifting themselves up in their own humanness. They want to be seen as great and they pursue greatness. And it's really self-centeredness. But I want you to know that as we read the scripture, what we find out is this. We find out that Jesus defeated everyone. Listen, the, I'm talking about the conquering Christ. Everyone say conquering Christ. The conquering Jesus lived in this world. And what I want you to know is this, that he conquered all three of those things. Remember in his temptation, I'll just say this by, by passing. When Satan tempted him in the wilderness, notice what happens is Satan tempted him with the stones turned into bread, tempted him to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple, and tempted him saying, I'll give you all the kings of the world if you will but worship me. And in every one of those, that's exactly what John said in his little three points of describing what is success in the world. Jesus said, that's not success. Jesus said, I don't want anything to do with that. But what I want to do is I want to follow my heavenly father and I want to be in complete surrender and submission to everything that he has. So, so Jesus conquered by surrender and by the spoken word of God. Now we have a prophetic picture. We have a prophetic picture of the conquering Christ who John saw in a vision. Can you imagine seeing this vision? And it's found in Revelation 19. And we see in verse 11, I saw, now I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse and him who sat on it is called faithful and true. And righteousness, he judges and makes war. He describes him. He says, his eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many crowns. And in his name his, is written that no one except him, a new except himself. Notice, and he was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him in, on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with it, he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And, in, and he has in, on his robe and on his thigh a name written. Say it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. Say it again. King of kings and Lord of lords. So the point is this. The cross which happened, we celebrated last Friday, looked like an utter defeat, and yet it's the greatest victory the world's ever known. What the world is pressing upon you and I and upon these young people, what success is, is not really success. That's utter failure. What is success is how Jesus lived in submission to the Father's will. His victory was an eternal victory, you understand? Never to be undone, never to be lessened in its achievement. And here's the, here's the thing, that believers too can conquer. Do you know that you can conquer? In fact, the Bible gives us promises of conquering with the conquering Christ. Here's what John said again, little John. For whosoever is born of God, whosoever is born of God, whosoever says yes to Jesus, 
Whosoever says yes to the one who died and rose again on the third day, whoever says yes to him overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Now it's interesting here, the word overcome is the word nikeo. It means literally to defeat, to win a war, to win a military contest, to conquer, to overcome, to overpower, to prevail, to triumph, to be victorious. How many of you have some Nike shoes on? Anyone in here have any Nike shoes on? You don't like Nike? Jesse, you got some Nike. Oh, yeah, there it is. In, it says on the front of these shoes right here, N-I-K-E. Now, Miss Jesse, do you know that this word in this text, overcome, is that word right there? That is the exact word in the Greek. That word right there is the word that John uses. So, in other words, when you put on those shoes... You can gain the victory. In other words, you can win the race, right? When you put those shoes on, not, it means conquer. You're going to win the 100-yard dash. Now, you, you know, you may run all by yourself and win, but maybe somebody beat you. But I'm just saying that. Now, here's, here's what I want to tell you. You put those shoes on, you may get an earthly victory, but you don't get a heavenly victory. Nikeo, not overcome. You, but, but what we need to do today is we need to get our eyes on the risen, conquering Christ. And we need to put on not, not earthly Nikes. We need to get some heavenly gospel shoes on because we can tread with Christ and we can find victory for our lives. Come on. Here's the question. And here's the, the issue. And this has really been, this, has been this, this theme has been here. I think McKenzie said this theme has been here. Here's, here's what we need to know is this. We need to know that the conquering risen Christ is leading his church to victory. You hear that? He's, where, where are we headed? See, the world doesn't even understand who we are. I saw a guy down here hitting golf balls on an Easter Sunday. I mean, he could be serving and worshiping. I mean, he may head to the whatever service. I don't know. He had to hit his golf balls first. I'm thinking... Of all the things you can do on an Easter Sunday morning, golf balls is not what I want to do or anything else. Why? Because we're a part of the church. And I want to tell you where we're headed. We're not headed to defeat. You know, you've heard all this talk on, I mean, you, I don't even really even watch news anymore. Sometimes I don't even know what's going on. I don't know what's going on in this world, but I know what's going on in that world. I know what's going on with the risen Christ. Paul said this, now, thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph in Christ. He's leading us somewhere. And the church he's coming for is not going to be an old beat up, dragging on through church. It's going to be a church riding along with him. It's going to be a church that's bust out of this world and goes up through the heavens. And we're going to be in the very presence of the living Christ one day forever. Hallelujah. See, what you need to understand is understanding this conquering nature of Jesus and understanding really the resurrection, it equips us to embrace a conquering attitude. Now capture this. If you and I can capture and understand the significance of the resurrection of Jesus, it will literally change the way that you look at every event in life. For instance... Jesus had some great friends. Everybody needs great friends. And some of his greatest friends to, that when he lived those 33 and a half years was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Remember? Remember this? John 11. And so what happens is 
He gets word that Lazarus is sick. Please come and help us. You ever had any delays? You ever had any delays? I'm asking you. You ever had any delays? You ever prayed a prayer and it didn't get answered in the next 10 minutes? All right, okay. I believe in miracles. We serve a miracle Savior. But I found that a lot of the stuff he does in my life takes a little time. Jesus, come and help us. Please, the one whom you love, your friend Lazarus, is sick. And you know what the Bible says. He waited four more days. And even the disciples didn't understand it. Hey, Jesus, let's, we got to go. Lazarus, that's our buddy. No. Why? Remember this? Jesus never did anything. He didn't, he didn't work by human suggestion or human pressure. We see it over and over again. He would not allow. In fact, even Nicodemus says, we know that, we know that you don't care what anybody thinks. I'm paraphrasing, but you look at the Bible. Nicodemus says, we know that you don't care for any man's person. No one impresses you. They may be worth $100 million or $0.02. Cents. None of that matters to you. The one thing that the conquering Christ did was, I will do what always what my father tells me to do. He waits four days. He con- then four days later, he goes there. And, and then Mary comes out, Martha comes out, and what do they say? The same thing. Lord, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The other sister comes out and says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then they go to the tomb, and he says, take the stone away. Now notice, take the stone away. And they say, oh, wait a second. He's been dead four days. By now, he stinks. Here's, here's the issue that they didn't understand yet, and that we have no excuse for not understanding, because we have a completed scripture. We have the B-I-B-L-E. We have 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. We have the New Covenant. We have the whole story here. And what they didn't realize in its power and in its significance, they didn't understand who Jesus really was. They did not understand that he's the conquering Christ, and he said this to them. He said, I know that he's going to rise at the last day. Your brother will rise. She said, yeah, I know it's going to, he's going to rise at the last day. Now listen to me. Sometimes we're just always regulating things to some other day. He said, remember this? John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the I, I can conquer death. I can bring Lazarus out. Why? Because four days is see, they thought four days was a hindrance to him. I'm telling you, four days was not a hindrance to him. I'm telling you, nothing is a hindrance to him. He can move heaven and earth, he can speak to seas, he can heal the sick, he can raise the dead. Why? Conquering Christ. Say that with me. He's the conquering Christ. He's a mighty God. Think about how different their attitude would have been if they knew he was the conquering Christ. They wouldn't have said, well, if you had been here, well, he stinks four days. They would have said, Jesus, just do what you do. Jesus, just do what you can do. Conquer this for us. Paul 
realizing that his young friend, Timothy, was discouraged in the ministry. I mean, how would you like to pastor in Ephesus? Thousand temple prostitutes. Whole city in a riot at one time. They wanted to kill Paul because Christianity had made so much inroads into Ephesus that they weren't buying the little gods anymore of Artemis. Timothy, I have a job for you. I got to go somewhere else. You stay in Ephesus. Then there's false teachers. 1 Timothy 1.3 says, I command them, 3, 1 and 3 or 5 says, command those, I want you to stay there, command them not to teach false doctrine. False teachers, persecution on the outside, difficulty on the inside. Do you ever notice what Paul did to encourage Timothy? You know what he did? He reminded him of the resurrection. Look at it with me. 2 Timothy 2.8. 2 Timothy 2.8. In the middle of all this that I've just described and worse, here's what he says. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, Timothy. Remember the Christ you serve. Remember, remember who he is. According to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change, But the word of God is not chained, therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Therefore, this is a faithful saying, that if we died with him, we shall live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So my question to you today is this. What are you facing? What trouble are you facing? Are you facing sickness? Are you facing lack? Are you facing persecution? Are you facing loss? Are you facing troubles? Are you facing an impossible mountain? What I would tell you today is remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's a conqueror and he can conquer every need. Hallelujah. The only way that we can conquer, the only way is through the living Christ. Why is it that this is, this is what happens. We're saved by grace through faith. You cannot save yourself. Everybody says, yes, that's right. I can't save myself. No good works can get me into heaven. I've got to depend on Christ and Christ alone. And then from that moment, the rest of our Christian life, we try to do it in our own power. What is wrong with us? Listen, no more... That Can you in your own self forgive your sin and redeem your sin? No more than that. Can you, you, you cannot live for Christ on your own humanness, in your own strength. Christianity is not about trying. Christianity is about trusting. Conquering for us comes, and, and I, I don't know if you picked it up, but in the Revelation 19, 14, it said the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, clean and white, white and clean, they followed him. They followed him. See, it is only as we follow him that we conquer. All other paths are defeat. 
There's a way that seems right, but it's, it's utter defeat. So the question is, why is the resurrection so important? This conquering Jesus in what he did in his death, his burial, and the subsequent resurrection, why is it so important? I can tell you this. It cannot be overstated, the importance of the resurrection. So how important is resurrection of Jesus to Christianity? Listen to me. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. Christianity hinges, rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. All the enemies of Jesus would have had to do is just produce his body. They they don't want his body to be hidden. Produce Produce a dead body. Produce a tomb with a body in it. You can disprove Christianity. But I'm going to tell you, I went in that tomb. I looked around there. Jesus is not there. He's risen. We can't lose sight of the resurrection. Why? It's the foundation of our faith and hope. To deny, the, to deny the resurrection, the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus means we are not Christians. To deny the resurrection means that I am not a preacher of the gospel. I am not a minister of the gospel if I deny the resurrection. Paul tried somebody, in, listen, somebody in the Corinthian church was starting to teach there is no resurrection of the dead. This is Greek thought, actually. I don't have time to get into that. But this is how the Greek thoughts, today we live, today, uh, eat and drink today, for tomorrow we die. That was the philosophy of the Greeks. They did not have a thought about the afterworld in the way that Christianity does. So that Greek thought began to enter in to the Corinthian church. And somebody was going around and destroying the faith of the church. And says, there is no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. Do you realize that people believe that today? People actually believe that you just, with, well, listen, with all the intricacies of, intricacies of life, all the miracles of the, of the creation, you can see it, perfect timing, the way it fits together, your human body, how we're glorious and wonderfully made, and yet there's people that are so blind in sin, they'll say, oh, we just cease to exist at death. And that's what was happening in the Corinthian church. Paul said, do you even know what you're saying? Do you even understand the significance of what you're saying Here's what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how? Do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? We're preaching that Christ is conquered, that he is raised from the dead. How in the world are you saying there's no resurrection from the dead? Paul said, here's the weight of what you're thinking. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses because we have testified that God has raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact there is no resurrection of the dead, if the dead don't rise. For if the dead do not rise then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our faith is futile. 
and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in this kind of Christ, if we have hope, in other words, if we're putting in our faith in a Christ that doesn't conquer and doesn't conquer death and doesn't raise out of the tomb, then we are to be most pitied among all human beings. So in other words, Paul is saying, without the resurrection, we, and every Christian who's ever professed faith in Christ, are the most miserable, pitiable people on the face of the earth. Paul's saying, get the weight of this. If, without the resurrection, we are liars and deceivers. We are empty, we are hopeless, and we are yet living in our sins. But I declare to you today, we are not hopeless We are not deceived. We are not bound. Why? He is risen. He is risen indeed. What is the message of the resurrection? Let me hear you. Here's the message of the resurrection. Number one, it is the power of God demonstrated. He demonstrated his power In the resurrection, the mighty power of God. Ephesians 1 says this, What is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead? God demonstrating His power. What a powerful God we serve. Listen, there's no power. There's, listen, say it this way. There's no limit to his power. Nothing can stop his power. Nothing can diminish his power. He has all the power that we need. He is the El Shaddai God. He is the Almighty God. Hallelujah. The message of the resurrection also, the sonship of Jesus is proclaimed. He is the very unique Son of God. Now, you and I are sons of God, daughters of God, but not that way. Adopted, redeemed, he is the son of God. Perfect. Are you? Never sinned. Never, Jesus never had an evil thought. You ever had an evil thought? Don't raise your hand. You ever said something that you wish you hadn't said? Don't raise your hand. You ever done something that you... Violate your conscience? Don't raise your hand. I'm wanting to raise mine, but I don't want to embarrass myself here. Do you realize the conquering Christ never had an evil thought, never acted out of the flesh, never did anything except that was holy and perfect submission to the will of God. Romans says this, declared to be the Son of God with power. The resurrection declares his power, but his sonship. It also is a declaration of his lordship. It says in Romans, to the end that Christ died and rose again, that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. The resurrection says that he conquered and that he is the ruling, reigning. We read it, we sang it, I think, King of kings and Lord of lords. Where's Jesus now? Not on the cross. See, I was raised in a church. You walk in, and Jesus was still hanging on those crosses. Had little blood marks, you know, in his hand. That's the kind of church I grew up in. I wasn't saved. But I realized when I got saved, we don't need 
a statue of Jesus on a cross because He's not on the cross anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. He, where is he? he? According to 1 Corinthians 15, 26, he's going to reign until he put all his enemies under his feet. He's above all the chaos down here. He's above all the sin down here. He's above all the confusion down here. He's above all the impossible things that we call impossible. He's the conquering, risen King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. He's the Lord. What is the resurrection? What does the resurrection mean? Get this. The resurrection means the death of death. Resurrection means death of death. Resurrection means the death of death in the death of Christ and his resurrection. In other words, Jesus killed death. You say, well, wait a second. I've been to a funeral in the last year. Well, me too. I did a funeral of a little baby out here several months ago, a little baby. Hard to even comfort. You just, nothing you can say can take away the pain almost. Hmm? But I can tell you this no child of God should fear death. Death will not hold us, death cannot hold us. Why? Because our conquering Christ has the keys of death and of hell and the grave. And to be absent with the body is not to go to, to uh, paradise, but to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. The, mo- the moment after we die, presence of God forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Little sister Jane. I miss her so much. She, she almost lived with one foot in heaven anyway. You ever met folks like that? Now, you meet folks, and I do too. They say they're saved. You don't even think they're, they might not even be saved. They act just like the world. That little lady lived like Apostle Paul. You say, when you think about little sister Jane, literally, it's all about, every moment was about Jesus. And she supported this church. You realize she was the largest supporter of our building program. One day we had, remember when we were putting these little classrooms out here, all that we had all the little things on the wall there and everybody was grabbing one. One day we were at a Tuesday prayer meeting and she just stood over there and looked at all that. And I thought she was trying to figure out which one to take. But I didn't realize what she was doing was calculating everything. She calculated it all. She, she got over there and wrote a little check. I didn't even know what she was doing. And she said, Pastor, would you mind just taking all those down? I want to just get, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to get us across the finish line. When we were in her room, when she was going to heaven, they had the pray, they had praise music on and scriptures being quoted, victory scriptures being quoted, being quoted, being quoted. She went into the presence of the Lord, worshiping the Lord. But it wasn't a big step for her. It wasn't a big change for her. Some people that live barely saved, heaven's going to be a shock to them. But those who live close to God, it's just going to be another worship service they're going to step into. Hallelujah. Why? Because the conquering Christ done it, did it for us, led us on out. Oh, glory. No fear of death. Hallelujah. Would you just throw your hands up? Just worship for a moment. Would you just worship for a moment? Would you just worship for a moment? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want our worship team to come 
and to just get in place. And we're going to play this song in just a moment. And then they're going to follow after. We're going to go off live stream in just a bit here. We've got some things, some personal things to pray for. I say God bless you, those that are watching and will watch this service. Just remember, he is the conquering Christ. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, confess him as Lord. Repent of your sin. Receive him into your life. Let the conquering Christ into your heart. You haven't done good on your own. You've wrecked your life on your own because you're taking a different path. But in Revelation, it says they followed him. And if we follow him, there will be peace. There will be victory. Amen.